morning, everyone. So my name is Mark, and I'm the elder that Joel was referring to, and I'll be speaking here today. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a last-minute thing. About five minutes into the Leafs game yesterday, I got this call from Joel, and he was just telling me about how he just didn't feel like he had the strength to preach tomorrow, and so I, uh, I said, I'll fill in for you, I can do that for you, and uh, no, totally kidding, that's not how it happened, he asked me a long time ago, and Joel, I think that Boston cream comment by Graham was not called for at all this morning in our morning meeting, so yeah, so this might be the last time I'll be preaching for a while. <laughs> Uh, The last time that I spoke was um, in the fall, and I was speaking from, um, uh, we were doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, and it was, I got to speak on the, the line, give us this day our daily bread. And today I'll basically be speaking on a completely opposite topic. And this is the second uh, talk in a sermon series called The Good Life that's going to continue all throughout this year, all throughout 2018. And um, it'll, it'll happen every so often because we're talking about kind of spiritual habits or, or spiritual disciplines. And um, those spiritual uh, disciplines, uh, we want you to have time to experiment with them, try them out, um, see how they work for you. So in January, we introduced you to the spiritual habit of keeping a Sabbath, right? A 24-hour period once a week where you refrain from work and it's kind of a time to worship and to rest. And today we're going to introduce a second habit. And to do that, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of a reflection exercise. I'm a, I'm a counselor, so I love doing reflection exercises. You never know what will come up for them. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, right? What's the first um, word or image or feeling that comes up for you? Okay, is everyone ready? The word is puppies. Okay, yes, we've got a few things that came up really fast. Now, just a quick show of hands, for how many of you was the first thing that came up for you? Was it a positive impression or a positive word? A show of hands, how many people was it positive? How many people was it negative? Okay. <laughs> so some people have had some issues with puppies. You can talk to me after the service if you want to. Okay, so that was just the warm-up. So now we're going to do a different one, a different word. So for you, what's the first word that comes to your mind, the first thought, emotion, picture that comes to your mind when you hear the word fasting? Hungry. Praying. Okay. And for how many of you, uh, again with a show of hands, how many of you was was it a really positive first impression? Okay, a couple. And how many was it negative? All right, we have some really high raised hands there. Um, I'm not surprised. Many of us don't associate good things um, with fasting. And when I asked, uh, we were playing some board games with some friends, and when I asked um, them what was, you know, what was the first thing that came to mind, one of them said, bad, just bad. (laughs) 
And fasting can be unsettling in many ways. Uh, the topic kind of brings up feelings like fear or guilt or confusion, sometimes even anger and defensiveness. Of all the spiritual habits or disciplines, I think I can safely say that this is the one that most people don't like to talk about or even think about that much. So I kind of have some bad news for you. Um, fasting is our topic today. But by the end of this talk, I'm praying that you will not only be better informed about what the Bible says about this, about this topic, um, but maybe even be open to trying it. And that's kind of a pretty tall order. So why don't we pray together and ask God for his help. Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather here today and we can look at your word and we can experience worship together and fellowship and Lord, I know that all of us here have unique needs, uh, things that we, uh, things in our heart that we would love to bring to you and would love to see some change in. And so Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us directly and individually and that something uh, that is said here today would stand out and that you would use it. So please just make us uh, open to you and to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first time that I ever tried fasting um, was back in high school. And I remember it being a pretty fun experience. Um, we were kind of, it was the, doing the 30-hour famine. Has anyone ever done the 30-hour famine before? Okay, well, back in the day, I don't know why they thought it was a good idea, but they would lock you in a gym for most of that time. Um, so, yeah, we didn't eat very much during that. Um, and it was basically fun. Uh, they kept us busy. We did lots of activities, and there were girls there, so it was a pretty good experience. Um, and I didn't really think about it very much more, but then when I was in Bible college, um, I thought, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to try fasting for more spiritual reasons. And so I convinced my roommate, my good friend Jason, to do it with me. And basically, we did everything wrong. First, we had no real clear reason to fast. We just thought, maybe it would be a good idea. Now, lots of people have good reasons to fast, right? Sometimes it's as an expression of grief. Sometimes it's uh, because they have a great need and they're bringing it before God. But we just thought, maybe it's a good idea. Secondly, we spent the entire time doing one of two things, either complaining about how hungry we were or debating about what delicious meal we were going to break our fast with. <laughs> and please note, I don't recommend either of these things when it comes to fasting. Perhaps we did pray a little, but it was tough to fit that in with all the complaining about our hunger and about, um, all the, you know, with all the fantasizing about food. And I'm kind of embarrassed, but the meal that we ended up after all those talks, um, you know, deciding what we were going to break our fast with, with Chef Boyardee ravioli. <laughs> Seriously. And I, can't, I can remember attacking those two cans of ravioli at the end um, and eating it super fast. Also, don't recommend that. And we both had like these terribly nasty stomach aches because when you eat gross food quickly after a fast, uh, your stomach doesn't like that. And I kind of decided right there that fasting is just not for me. But years later, fasting was a topic that 
kept coming up for me, um, you know, when I was reading the Bible or I was doing other reading. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try it again. And so, being a little more careful, I did. And I would say that I am completely a beginner when it comes to this spiritual habit. But I've seen so much blessing for myself and for, especially through others, that I wanted to explore it with you today. So, uh, what does the Bible say about fasting? Well, the Bible doesn't actually ever define it. It just basically describes it. So basically, fasting is choosing to go without food for spiritual purposes. Right? It's choosing to go without food for spiritual purposes. And this is different than like a hunger strike uh, or starving yourself or fasting to lose weight or detoxing. Um, it's different. And fasting, like prayer, isn't an exclusively uh, Christian practice. Many other religions practice it in some way. Um, and lots of atheists practice it, and many doctors recommend it. In fact, fasting um, as a non-spiritual discipline is kind of experiencing a renaissance today, um, simply because it brings a lot of health benefits. But our focus today is on what fasting means for us as Christians. If you read through your Bible, you'll see that fasting is mentioned and practiced by many of our sort of biblical heroes and models. And these include everyone from Moses, David, Elijah, Queen Esther, Daniel, Paul, right, the apostles, and of course, uh, Jesus himself. So there are three kinds of fasts. And most of the time that it's mentioned in the Bible, fasting is going without any kind of food but drinking water. And so we'll call that like a regular fast. Secondly, there's also what might be called a partial fast, uh, where only some kind of foods are abstained from. Uh, as an example, the prophet Daniel's custom was usually to fast in the regular way. Uh, but in Daniel 10.3, he describes a time where he says this. He says, no choice food, no meat, no wine, um, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all um, until the three weeks were over. So he was doing a partial fast for three weeks. Uh, the modern day practice of uh, giving something up for Lent would be an example of a partial fast. And then thirdly, there's also what might be described as an absolute fast, where one abstains from both food and water. Now, since the human body can only go for about three days or a little more uh, without water, this would appear to be a desperate measure to meet a very dire emergency. For instance, in Esther 4.16, um, upon learning that genocide awaited her and her people... Um, Queen Esther tells her uncle this. She says, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will do as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And of course, the good news is she doesn't perish. The fast is successful. There are at least two absolute fasts described in the Bible that can actually only be described as miracles. Uh, both Moses and Elijah fasted for 40 days from both food and water. So it's probably important for me to mention 
that unless it's a very clear command uh, from God to you, absolute fasts are an exception and are not to be engaged in. Now, in most cases, fasting is definitely a private matter between an individual and God. But in the Bible, there were occasional times of group fasting in a very public way. When the prophet Jonah preached to the city of Nineveh and said, it's going to be destroyed, the entire city, including the animals, which would be involuntarily, no doubt, uh, fasted. Right? In the Mosaic Law, there was actually an annual fast on the Day of Atonement. And before heading back to Jerusalem, the leader of the Jewish remnant, Ezra, had the exiles fast and pray for safety on the bandit-infested road. So, if the idea of fasting makes you uncomfortable, you might say, well, that was good for the Old Testament Israelites, but what about today? God does not require this of us, or does he? To answer these questions, I'd like us to turn to Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, please feel free to turn there. Or if you have your phones, you can go, go there. Yeah. Um, Matthew 6, 1 to 18 is part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And it talks about three very important topics. So the first topic is generosity to the poor. So let me ask you a question. Does anyone think that God only wants some of us uh, to be generous to the poor? Or is generosity optional for Christians? So I'm going to go out on a limb and just guess that most of us would say that giving to the needy or, yeah, is something that we are all to do. Secondly, Jesus talks about prayer. And I'll ask the same question. Does anyone think that God only wants some of us to be praying? Or is prayer optional for Christians? Again, I'm going to guess that we're going to all say, no, prayer is important and something that we are called to do. But then he gets to the third topic of fasting. And I guess you might see where I'm going with this. Does anyone think that God only wants some of us to be fasting? Personally, before I studied Matthew 6, 16 to 18 in its context, I would have responded, yeah, I don't think it's for all Christians, especially not, you know, um, well, maybe just those really spiritual ones, right? Or the ones with that special gift. Or the ones that seem to enjoy misery for no good reason. Um, maybe they don't like food. Um, but I don't think fasting is for Christians like me, the ones that begin to feel like serious hunger pangs if I go too long without food. Well, let me put your mind at ease. God does not literally command us to fast. But he does put fasting in the same category of Christian practice as giving to the needy and praying. In Matthew 6, uh, 1-18, all three topics are stated a little differently. But they're all connected by use of some same phrases. First, they say some version of when you something, don't be like the hypocrites, right? When you, when you give to the needy, when you um, pray, when you fast. Secondly, they all state that the hypocrites who do these things already have all the reward they're going to get. It says, truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Thirdly, Jesus describes in each passage a way of doing these practices 
That is the right way. It's humble. It's not seeking after the acclaim of others. And lastly, all three topics end with a promise. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So notice that that same phrase is used in Matthew 6.2, 6.5, and 6.17. So when you, when you give to the needy, and then when you pray, and then when you fast. Jesus is assuming that his hearers will at some point be doing all of these things. Giving to the needy, praying, and yes, even fasting. So, let's uh, read the whole passage there on fasting together. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then he goes on. But when you do fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, and he doesn't say, you must fast. He also doesn't state how often you are to fast, either. He, he just says how not to and how to do it um, so that you'll be rewarded when you do. From other scriptures, uh, we know that fasting correctly also means not holding on to sin and not being unjust and, and taking care of others and helping and, and protecting them, as was read earlier uh, from Isaiah 58. It's interesting, later in Matthew 9, the disciples of John the Baptist are kind of perplexed because they notice that they fast and the Pharisees fast, but Jesus' disciples do not. So they asked Jesus about this. In John 9, 15, Jesus says, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. As Martin Luther once said, it was not Christ's intention um, to, uh, to reject or to despise fasting. It was his intention to restore proper fasting. Jesus expects that his followers would be fasting after he returns to the Father. And sure enough, in the book of Acts, that's exactly what they do. So, back to us. Why do we hesitate so much with this particular practice? Well, perhaps part of it is our environment. We do live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Right? Affluence is all around us. And we are used to feasting not fasting. Our whole culture promotes excess in everything, and so to choose to abstain from that which is available, which is all around us, does seem kind of illogical. Also, our diet of bread, high sugar, and salt is kind of engineered to be addictive, and so our bodies do react strongly when we go for more than a few hours without it, and that can make fasting uncomfortable or even hard. Some of it might be our particular religious tradition, right? Fasting um, in some areas of Christendom is, is, is part of it, uh, but not so much in ours. Or maybe we worry that it will become legalistic, right? Or a source of pride, 
um, like what Christine read today, um, you know, the Pharisee, I fast twice a week, right? And so then we avoid it. Or maybe we think that it's just so unhealthy and our, our bodies can't handle it. And it is true that some people definitely should not fast, right? The sick, the pregnant, those with cardiac conditions or diabetes, for example. But the truth is that most people actually get healthier with fasting. In fact, I, I just read some recent research that said that for a lot of people, uh, fasting is just as effective as exercise. Yes, I was shocked too. In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard says that there are basically two categories of spiritual disciplines. So the first category is the discipline of engagement, and the second one is the discipline of abstinence. abstinence these are the two categories. So disciplines of engagement are the fun ones, right? Worship, celebration, study, and service. Then there's the disciplines of abstinence, and they are definitely less popular. Solitude, silence, sacrifice, yes, and fasting. Fasting goes against that basic part of our nature that wishes for comfort and for our desires to be met as often and as soon as possible. And its usefulness is that it reflects the reality of being a disciple of Christ, which actually does involve a lot of self-denial and sacrificing what, what we would desire and putting what he desires for us first. Uh, Ken Shigematsu, uh, he's, a, he's an Alliance pastor in Vancouver, B.C., and he writes this fantastic book called God in My Everything. Um, and in it, he says that, believe it or not, a person can grow not just to tolerate fasting, uh, but to love it. In fact, his wife jokes that he isn't allowed to fast for Lent because he enjoys it too much. And perhaps one of the problems that we have with fasting is that we focus too much on the negatives and not on the positives, the benefits. So we're just going to look at a couple of those here today. So the first benefit is that fasting from food can be feasting on God. Right? When we refrain from eating food, we can actually choose to feast on God in worship and in prayer and thanksgiving and service. We can be like the prophet Anna who's described in Luke 2.37 this way. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting can give us this spiritual clarity that's not distracted by the simple desires of our stomach. When our fasting is God-focused, we are fasting unto him. And this is the only way that we'll be saved from desiring kind of the blessings of fasting more than desiring the blesser, God himself. Fasting can be a hard discipline because it can easily capture all of our attention, right? So instead, we make it just a part of our worship, and we make God the main focus. A second benefit, you become aware with and deal with your stuff. Right? Fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves, and very quickly. Right? It certainly humbles us. Sometimes it even humiliates us to reveal how much of our peace depends on the simple pleasures of eating. When I was a student in seminary, uh, I worked part-time as a waiter at Olive Garden. Uh, 
And, and do you know who had the hardest job there in the restaurant? It wasn't the dishwashers, and it certainly wasn't the waiters. It was the hostesses, right? The hostesses are the people who seat you. And while there, I saw every single hostess cry a lot. And why? Because when people are hungry, even Christians on Sunday morning, and they're waiting for a table, and they have to wait a while, they can get really mean. And they take it out on the hostesses, and then that makes the hostesses cry. David said in Psalm 35, 13, I humbled myself with fasting. Richard Foster says that when we fast, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. But then we know that we are angry because there is anger within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. As we become more aware of our sins and our shortcomings, we can bring them to our forgiving and generous Father in confession and repentance, and this both humbles and matures us. A third benefit of fasting is that fasting confirms our utter dependence on God. In our hunger for food, we can grow to understand our greater dependence on God, and our physical hunger reminds us that we are not sustained by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get into this kind of zone where I think that I'm the one who's solely responsible for how well my life is going, how successful I am. And this can lead to pride when things are going good or to despair when things are not going good. Right? But choosing to fast, I can remind myself that he is God and I am not, and all the good in my life depends on him. And rather than depress me, it encourages me to abide in my Heavenly Father and experience the peace that, yes, he is in control. A fourth benefit we can experience the power of God. Now, we know that when people pray, um, things happen, and we get to see God move. And I was very encouraged to hear your story, uh, Judy, today. Um, let us keep on praying. In Acts 13, 2-4, we see that prayer and fasting go together. Uh, Luke says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Um, a very specific um, speaking of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And then when they had fasted and prayed, right, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Paul and Barnabas were empowered for ministry by prayer and by fasting. And much has been written about how fasting can result in all kinds of wonderful things like increased effectiveness in intercessory prayer, guidance in decisions, increased concentration, and a really neat one, deliverance from those who are in bondage to sin. I've heard many, many stories of God answering prayer in miraculous ways, including from some of you. Um, 
often after a call has been made to fast. I like the story of when Jesus went into the wilderness. Um, because after he was baptized and he began his earthly ministry, he went there and he fasted, something that his disciples had not been doing. And scripture records the fact that when Jesus entered the wilderness, he was full of the Holy Spirit. But when he exited, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and power. And power. And what happened in the wilderness that gave birth to that awesome power? Jesus had been praying and fasting for 40 days. So if the Son of God actually found it useful to fast during his ministry time here on earth, it begs a good question. If he found it useful to fast, why wouldn't we? So as we bring my sermon to a close, uh, this is my invitation to just prayerfully consider adding fasting to your own worship experience. Fasting is a practice that requires starting slow um, and learning to do it, kind of finding what works for you and for your own body. But here are a few uh, potential first steps. The first one, if you're not quite sure about it, just do some research. This week, uh, read and meditate on Luke 6, 1 to 18, or maybe that other passage, Isaiah 58, 1 to 12. Or you can research by going to Google and look up Christian fasting tips. Believe it or not, there are a lot of good things uh, on Google. Secondly, you can try a partial fast. Choose a food or some foods to abstain from and begin a secret partial fast that ends in a week or two or maybe like Daniel in three weeks. And third, you could try a short regular fast. Maybe just a day or a meal or two. Um, and spend that time in prayer and worship uh, and service. As we, uh, as we read in Isaiah 58, there is no shortage of good things to do while you're fasting. Fasting is meant to humble our hearts and to bring us closer to God. And it's not designed to create guilt. It's not designed to, to create pride or legalism. But remember, we are not commanded to fast. Instead, it's a glorious opportunity. Um, it's an invitation that we are free to engage in as we feel led. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us. And we thank you for the freedom that we have and that you gave us uh, when it comes to things like fasting and other spiritual disciplines. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide, and guide each of us individually into if this is something that could be helpful for them. And Lord, there might be some people who are just in really tough situations and they really need you. And they are already praying, and I pray that you would guide them if fasting is something that, that they can add to their intercession. So Lord, we praise you, and we thank you for all your goodness.